Hello, and welcome to Chronic Correlations with your host, Fiona and Danny, by the patient, for the patient. Please note our podcast is for information only, and please seek the medical advice from a registered medical professional. And on today's show, we have Drew. And how are you, Drew? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. So thank you very much for coming on. I think me and Danny were very intrigued with your Instagram page and, um, you know, especially with what you do. So I thought I'd let you tell our listeners a bit, um, tell, tell our listeners a bit more about your type of journey and also about what you do, if you don't mind there, please, Drew. Sure. Um, I, so I, I was a, I noticed I was incredibly flexible as a child. I could basically roll out of bed into a straddle split. No problem. Um, didn't think that was unusual uh, until I started to, you know, hang out with other people. My pediatrician said, you know, you can't, this child should absolutely never play contact sports. Otherwise, he'll be in pieces all over the field. And I started to kind of piece together this strange, everything can sort of micro dislocate sublux, what we would call it now. Um, and I sort of that took me into more of the arts side of life. Uh, I then picked up the viola, which I now play professionally. Um, but it was a big, it was certainly a chore to get there uh, without having a lot of kind of uh, repetitive injury, kind of strain and pain. Um, so I went through what I think of as kind of a, a crash course in my own movement-based uh, sort of rehabilitative biomechanics. I've studied uh classical Pilates, gyrotonic, Yamana body rolling. I was part owner of a Feldenkrais-based spinal sequencing method and, and then developed my own work. Uh, I call the monkey body, sort of give it a playful twist on how we might, uh, how we might sort of be joyfully, strongly, safely embodied as these uh, googly, hypermobile folk <laughs> that have to figure out how to, how to exist on a daily basis. <laughs> So that's me in a nutshell. Yeah, I think what's really interesting is I think you understand a lot of people's hypermobility and Ellis Danlos, like me and Danny <clears throat> both have the condition. Yeah. And I think it's actually very interesting, especially from like a POTS aspect. I mean, we were talking <clears throat> about this, about how you work with, you know, floor movements and ground movements. So it's, you know, a lot safer for people in Absolutely. those situations. <clears throat> yeah. You, you so were... Have you got any experiences with that? Yes, uh, I have. <laughs> I've had to hug a few people to the floor in my studio back in the day. And you learn very quickly. Um, that was after doing uh, one was after just doing seated work with a friend of mine who's uh, about six foot three, uh, very tall, lanky, has been tested for Marfan already, uh, didn't have that yeah. uh, supposedly, but he I definitely would be on that hypermobility spectrum disorder to hypermobile EDS range. Uh, and I've, I've had to, you know, just from going from seated to standing, transferring over somewhere else, you know, he started to get woozy. I had to hug him to the floor. This is a large human. I am not a large human. I am about five foot seven. So you learn very quickly <laughs> that this is not, this is not how you're interested really in spending your time professionally. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm comfortable in that situation relatively, but we still want to lower any potential risk, obviously, as movement instructors, body workers, because 
if there's any even inkling on the on the part of the professional, quote unquote, um, it it really, I think, can be conveyed in the movement experience, in the patterning experience, working in uh, help some helping some, to mirror someone else's nervous system. So it's really about working with, you know, you want to feel as safe as possible. How do we go to as safe as possible as our as our baseline? Um, and that's really the sequencing of this work. That's really how it came to be. And that's where we really look at uh, developmental movement, you know, sort of embryonic position to uh, to the the positions of the progressions of the movement of the baby to the sort of quadruped seated to kneeling to standing adult human. And then a retrograde back to that supine fetal position as as you know the elderly sort of how we also go the opposite direction of how we you know people would say we quote unquote degrade but really how we how we're actually able to honor the safest movement positions in later years as a protective way of not just becoming a fall risk and letting that be dictate the rest of your life so that's yeah that's so that sequencing came about i think even danny will show you know will agree with you and things like that won't you danny in regards to the safety and finding the right type of movements and i think a lot of floor movements is critical especially if people have very type of high pops levels when they can't stand up in certain positions Absolutely. for too long and i think danny, you can agree with that can't you yeah definitely i mean even basic things I mean, bending down to a, into a cupboard, for example, yeah. has caused me so bend into exercise and stretching mm. to touch my toes is not going to be beneficial to me because no. it's going to make me feel extremely dizzy, no. and then I'm likely going to have a fall. Mm. Um, because I, I have on numerous occasions with um, with things like that. Like I said, with the bending and moving, yeah. I, I we talked when we talked previously, didn't we, Drew? About yeah. I mean, I've kind of done some similar things to you, not anywhere near the extent, but sort of found the range of movement of my body and the stretches and things that make me feel better or release tension or um, stretching out muscles with things which are very, very tight. Mm. You know, I, I, I've sort of done it naturally without even realising over the years, like when, when Fee was saying about putting my legs behind my head and things. Yeah. I couldn't be lying my head, but I do things where I move them to stretch them out so strange positions most people would be like what are you doing yep. but it makes me feel better I've also massaged myself for years mm -hmm. again because to release the tension and um you know when I've had problems with my shoulders and uh my I, I have a, a worse problem with my left side my left arm my left shoulder it's uh, too high. I huh. again about the knock-on effect didn't we have everything that knocks on down so if I have a problem with my shoulder then it starts to affect my elbow mm -hmm. then it starts to affect my wrist and so on and so forth so I've learned myself but I know obviously you've done this intensively and it's you know it's your specialty then uh you've studied it like I studied zinc I think Drew mm -hmm. yes <laughs> absolutely <laughs> well it, it, what you're talking about there it the the that sequencing aspect of the, you know, that song, the knee bones connected to the hip bone, the hip bones, right? I mean, it's, it's yeah. <laughs> it, that, that idea of tensegrity, you know, that in biotensegrity is it said that, you know, all movement is simultaneous and sequential. 
understanding that if one part of the body is moving, that all the parts of the body are moving proportionately to accommodate that. Ideally, uh, in our bodies, it's very easy for us to sort of artificially localize movement, to sort of micro dislocate and stabilize something because we're told in the literal language, stability versus mobility. You know, it's about building trunk stiffness. If you're doing something like a deadlift, it's, it's sort of baked into the, that, that crust, that foundation of movement speak, movement terminology, exercise physiology, whatever you want to call it. Um, it, it's, it's very important that there be a way to ground the system to work with absolute safety beyond the floor. There's no risk of passing out. And then through a, what I do is I sequence it through um, weight shifting over certain major bony segments of the body that you can feel when you're on the back, you can feel the surface of your sacrum, the contour of your sacrum in the floor proportional to how your sternum is moving, proportional to how your elbow might be moving away from you. And that you can track all three of those simply simultaneously to allow yourself to feel uh, relief in the shoulder, which is really just, to me, integration. It's waking up the fact that everything, we can have all hands on deck. Everyone is there to support each other as much as they're able, proportionately to their size in the body, muscularly. And that waking up that primal uh, tensegrity response, that primal sort of scaffolding, really allows us to feel not only safe, but stronger uh, in our, and more powerful and accessible in our bodies. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, with things like pain, where you get it, you know, these nerves run, so they're, they're very, very long, mm. a lot of the nerves, aren't they? So, you know, if you've got a nerve in, in your head, like in the trigeminal, mm. it runs all the way down and goes through your shoulder, yeah. and it goes across uh, the soul, the, the, across here, doesn't it, across the collarbone and underneath, and, and this is where people... So I've so I mean I'm diagnosed with so many things I can't even I can't even sit here and list them if I'm honest wow. because there's just too many because I mean I've probably got quite a lot of damage or I know I've got damage I've got multiple herniated discs for example in my spine um, and again do it you know certain jobs then for example if you're sat in an office job all day the mechanical load is is yep. you know it's not not correct is it for us then you know mm. and people do not sit upright in a straight position all day the, the tendency to slump happens doesn't it and the tendency to bend forward and today with mobile phones and tablets and things like that we are sat bent over and it is it is it will cause a kyphosis in people because we are mechanically forcing it aren't we we're changing the body shape as such and it will then cause a um more of a mechanical load where it will cause damage then to the tissues because it's like a repetitive use injury then where we're sat like that constantly for example yeah so things you know that they affect lots of areas don't they you know they, um, they do any re repeated uh any repeated position that's not sort of balanced in movement with others it it will have uh it will have this sort of uh You know, the, the kyphosis itself is its own compensatory mechanism to accommodate the fact that you're only doing this one action all the time. 
and and it has always seemed so interesting and bizarre to me that you know we would work in any sort of weight bearing uh you know upright have any sort of vertical load when we have herniated discs i i find that it's best to you can actually sort of the work that i do in the spiraling the rolling it's really to centripetally work the tissue it's that we roll around i think of like a rotisserie chicken if you need a if you need a, an image it's a tad goofy but it works you have the heat elements right they're coming from one direction when the chicken is on a spit right and so when you roll on the floor you're rolling against gravity still coming in at that plumb line you know, it's still coming in vertically. You're rolling against gravity 360 around your body as you roll across the floor in sequence. So it gives everything a chance to have to uh, sort of vertically orient against gravity to tense itself against gravity while the other side is getting released and mashed into the floor as you roll around in sequence. Um, that allows 360 the tissues to sort of helically like a double helix that allows them to scaffold the spine from 360 as opposed to hitting it in just flexion you know which is you know just anteriorly from the front going to sideline doing side bends or planks hitting it just from that 90 degrees then going you know onto the stomach hitting it from that 90 degrees doing extension it, it allows you to work the tissues in, in all of their directions simultaneously, which I find the reason why you have to do those really what, what we would, you know, quote unquote, normal people would consider bizarre stretches to feel uh, balanced and, and, and capable in your body, because I do the same thing. The reason why you need to do that is because we're EDS people are tight in all of the wrong places and no one acknowledges that. This is, yeah. you know, we are incredibly tight in all of the places no one really wants to be. And we, we, there isn't a, I mean, I hope that my work serves to do that. I feel like it does for me and for my clients. It serves to give you a 360 understanding, uh, the very end ranges of motion where we find crazy tension. It allows you to contextualize those and release them and wake up all levels of tissue superficial or deep to superficial um, so that you're not just sort of at the, you're not just at the mercy of these rectilinear exercises, hopefully repeating them over and over and over, expecting a different result of now being stronger, um, if, if that makes uh, sense. So, you know, those stretching regimens are, incredibly important but they have to be done often under resistance and they have to be done in 362 end range and what's even scarier about that for us is that if we don't go to that end range we can't feel a stretch yet we're also risking dislocation somewhat so it really has to be safe uh bit of a tangent there but sorry but yeah i mean i just want to actually say something there when it comes to um you know, working on the floor as such as in, on the mat. Now, when you look at, for example, martial arts, I was in martial arts myself, okay? A lot were hypermobile, and they always taught you Olympic style. So the Olympic style is on the floor base. And they would teach you the roles and things like this and how to do stretches sitting down, okay? So from my point, because I've been in that area, I know how important 
the floor is in certain aspects in building things up. You know, so what I mean by that is some people are at different levels when it comes to their journey, i.e. some people may have severe POTS, for example, and they can't walk for long, you know, and there's other people, you know, that like myself that can walk quite a long way, you know, not no type of POTS issues. And that's the thing. It's about understanding each individual person, like you say, like your clients, but floor work from my point and my own experience, I can only talk about my own experience and people have to go to the registered medical professional. It's crucial. Absolutely. Because if you don't get floor work right first, how are you going to get the more advanced data? And this is, this speaks to the point of developmental movement. And I'm not, I'm not some genius who came up with any of this. This is well-documented in the progressions of Pilates, uh, all sorts of primal movement people, uh, Judith Aston's work. There's a, fantastic osteopath from New Zealand named Philip Beach, um, who uses these archetypal postures, early postures of work and repose of humans. It is absolutely essential that you learn to be comfortable moving on the floor. You will at first, as a modern human, be a little averse to a hard surface. It won't feel cushy enough. You'll feel uncomfortable, sort of my work, my my rocking rolling work, the rolling work at the beginning of my method, that um, it it is my massage, my chiropractic, and my core conditioning simultaneously. Um, so that there are drills that I call the mashing drills, where you're mashing out your your glutes, your lats, your serratus, your rhomboids to allow your pelvis and your shoulder girdle to start resonating again. Um, when you were talking about uh, I was just going to make a point of the, the floor work. Um, as you become stronger and more balanced in your tissues from doing the floor work, especially those mashing drills, you will crave harder and harder surfaces. I spend most of my day on a concrete floor with a quarter inch tatami mat, a grass reed uh, felted mat, a Japanese mat. I live on that. I am on I am on it right now. I play viola on it all day, sitting on the floor in what people would probably often consider this kind of slumped position. But if you look at archetypal postures and you understand how to balance your whole frame, it's really sort of this hoop-shaped position, um, you know, called the the long sit, that that really our birthright is to be able to rest and work on the floor um and the fact that he, I mean, we are primates ultimately that's it if you see I mean. it's why my yeah, work is called the monkey body i mean it really yeah. because we, we 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 should be on the floor we should yes. be um hanging from trees yes. to align everything in the spine and the arms yes. and all those things and that incrementally These that are... can be trained back in you can reclaim that as your birthright and movement if you don't, there, uh, it's my perspective, my humble opinion that there will be dysfunction in the body if you aren't able to honor those, those primal postures. And so basically, you know, the rocking, rolling work, my spiral stretches with strap, the strap is the only thing that can mimic a tree conveniently for $15 anywhere I find myself in the world. Uh, and then the archetypal postures, the, the squat, the long sit, uh, the uh, dorsiflex kneeling, the seiza, that Japanese kneeling posture where you're sitting with the heels uh, cradling your greater trochanters. 
you know, it allows you to get back into those positions. So you're no longer a fall risk. And, you know, maybe I need to work on the floor today with a sitting desk that I have you on right now, uh, because it's not safe for me to be an upright human today. That's completely fine. No judgment here. And it's important that everyone with EDS have the tools to make that call in embodiment. And it's infuriating to me when people say, no, you need to sit in this chair at this desk, or you need to stand here, blah, blah, blah. You can't do that when you have POTS. That's not an option. So, you know, you need to have different sort of options of being able to sit, kneel, whatever. And they need to be, you need to be as close to the floor as possible in case you hit the deck. I mean, to be fair, I think what, needs, yes, you do become very resourceful, don't you? Because you find absolutely. other ways to do things. I think I said <laughs> to you guys before, the way I, I have to hoover, I sit on the floor because I can't. Uh, I can't use the hoover, certain hoovers. So like new Dyson hoovers in the UK, they're very top heavy. Mm. They've got the, the cylinder is at the very top and you've got to hold it and squeeze the button to make it work. I can't do yeah. that. Oh, I've, you know, I have issues with doing that. So, and then I have, I've, so I have a hoover where I sit on my bum and I scoot around the floor. To Absolutely. Hoover because of pop, <laughs> things like that. Absolutely. <laughs> Just the way I hoover. I actually wanted to tell you something, actually, I think which will interest you, Drew. So going back to the mm. sport aspect. So there was something called a monkey mm. roll. Okay. Yeah. So, you have to do this specific monkey roll with the one arm and the curl like they do when they roll over in the wild, okay? And if you would not be able to pass until you got that right, until you got the physical movement of the primate huh. right. So if you didn't get it right, you couldn't move on because it was still floor work because if you think you're not getting up, you're just doing yep. the basic roll that a monkey would do. But you would not be able to pass that until you got that right. And that just goes to show you, like Danny was going back to, when we look at us as a type of evolution point, we are primates, we're a mammal. And this is what people forget. You know, like when you look at monkeys in, you know, the environment, you know, they're all sitting there on the floor Absolutely. a lot of the time. Or they're climbing trees. They're not standing up walking going like, hey, dude, let's go this way. You know, they're, they're not quite literally doing that for a pair of sunglasses. Absolutely. You know? and, and if you look at a lot of sort of <laughs> Eastern Asian cultures that haven't, that have had a longer standing movement tradition in, in primal movement and in, in, you know, like if, there is often a squat right. and a sit on the floor that's, that's much more often honored. The fact that Western humans cannot squat is hugely problematic. Your pelvic floor is not brought to correct tension. You're in not the best, the, the, you're not able to access the, the best position biomechanically for elimination, for childbirth. It goes on. Um, it's, it's squat. The full squat is, as Philip Beach puts it, the only position in which a human can naturally traction their low back. And that is important when you need to understand how to sort of decompress your spine and hang off yourself uh, these are really this isn't rocket science the whole point of this is that we need to get back to a simpler vocabulary of movement that has been that has been forgotten by the west and it took me studying all of this fancy movement i took ballet as a child at blah 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 for about 15 20 years to finally realize that i had never I had never, on sort of the fateful day that I started to roll across the floor, I had never realized that I had never rolled 
I had never rolled in sequence, barrel rolled across the floor since I was a child. I had never encountered that in almost a thousand exercises in Pilates. And I know a few hundred more in gyrotonic, a couple hundred more sequences in, in, uh, in Yamana with the hands on the, the choreography of each, you know, segment of each line. I, in all of this somatics work, Alexander Feldenkrais, I had never encountered a sequencing of how to roll across the floor like a baby when they go from their back to their side to their stomach. And that actually is the, it is to me, that's the missing link evolutionarily in our birthright and movement. Because when your chest rolls away from your lower half, it puts your psoas line on the top of the body under tension for the first time without having to be upright, weight-bearing with a risk of falling over. It allows you to actually, your psoas is the only muscle that crosses from your lower body to into your trunk, right? It's what connects you sort of on a deep strength level as hip flexor. Uh, and it's, it's something that just becomes sort of inactive and weak in seated humans all the time. We lose our access to it. We lose our ability uh, to to use it as a potential way to decompress the low back, but also how to really like ground into our trunk in general. Um, another bit of a tangent, but it's to suffice it to say that I challenge anyone to show me a movement method, especially, you know, you look at the Muldowney protocol for EDS, all of that. It's, I think it's incredible that a contribution like that has been made for EDS people, but it is obvious to me that he does not have EDS. When I read that, it goes the way of Pilates. It goes the way of pre-Pilates. If you put us sitting on a physio ball, we have no idea where we are in space. It is terrifying for me to be on a physio ball in my deeply felt nervous system, right? It's just like if I tried to skateboard as a child, it was terrifying to me. I would immediately <laughs> go flying and fall on my ass if I was lucky, you know, if not my head. So and we do have preception issues generally in yeah. this, you know, so I walk into cupboards, same. I walk into door handles. I regularly attack to a door handle by my jean, you know, the belt Absolutely. loop and, you know, I get pulled forwards and back or I end up with bruises where I've, you know, bashed into the door frame or uh, on my hip or things like that. So, yeah, the preception part, bouncing on a ball. Oh, there's no I'd way. I'd end up. Yeah, <laughs> we can't because there is nothing in nature that mimics being on a ball, being on a soft inflated rubber ball. There is nothing. You know, the reason why I have a strap in my method is the only prop is because it's the closest thing I can get to on the spot being able to create, you tie a knot in it, to, pull, uh, close the door, uh, put it put it in the top of the door and close the door to create sort of a stiff uh, anchor in the rope. Um, and that is the way that I can sort of, you know, mimic a tree branch for the moment, uh, just to have something to do a little sequenced uh hanging work um with choreography um it's it's really important that we have those primal tools in movement and you know using light weights physio balls uh doing stuff that just sort of scaffolds me in this upright s curve of the spine all the time i feel tight and worse um 
And that's why, you know, on the beginning of that protocol, it says that it'll take some time for it to kind of pattern in. And I do believe that is a way to go. I've been on that route with Pilates, that it's something that we slowly reinforce over time. But what happens, it should some sort of illness befall you, which is not so abnormal for the EDS person, what happens if you take time off from that and you become deconditioned, where do we start again? And so this is why with this rocking, mashing, rolling work, that first of the three parts of my work, it starts there. I am all about the basics. All I do are those basics in my own body. There is nothing really more advanced than that to me because if you can honor that 360 conditioning in centripetal conditioning and rolling across the floor in sequence, I can go into my teasers and Pilates and do all the, make all the big sexy shapes and whatever, you know, do all the quote unquote advanced work, the party tricks of movement, right? But I don't need that in my body on a daily basis. I need to be able to release, release my glutes, so that my SI joints aren't screaming at me, my low back. I need to be able to wake up and lengthen my psoas under tension so that my hip flexors have a hope in hell of not killing me, not just feeling like they're gripping and I don't know what to do with them at all. I need to be able to sort of softly like drop my sternum in so that I can open up. I need to be able to open up my lat serratus rhomboids to give my shoulders a chance at integrating being rooted into my pelvis. Otherwise, I'm constantly pulling out my shoulder. My elbows take too much uh, force and get too compressed over time. My neck feels tight and crackly. And you know what I mean? And we end up with those things like the thoracic outlet. And, you know, there are all sorts of things that easily go out of whack that cause these crazy um, shooting pains. You know, it's like, sciatica and thoracic outlet like the nerve trunks of the body just they they go nuts on us when the bones can't sequence so i look at it kind of yeah. like coiling clay where you're just you're sort of rolling out the kinks and the bubbles in the clay to give it soft easy length you can't just pull the clay apart and expect it to get longer it will break right so no. Designed to move ultimately, aren't we? We're designed as as a as a species to move and to have movement Absolutely. and, and, and movement uh, heals. Lotion is motion, saying goes, isn't it? Lotion is motion because it is because of synovial fluid Absolutely. in the joints. And you know, um, we definitely are designed to move. So it's very tempting, and we've all been there, I'm sure, where it's easier to to stay in bed and lie there and not move because you're hurting yep. and you're sore. But actually, it is counterproductive. Absolutely, because we are designed to move, and we need to move. Otherwise, we do become very tense, stiff, as you said, and it's hard to get out of that cycle. A lot of people are in fight or flight mode as well in in Absolutely. this scenario too, aren't they? And so, so in the EDS community, rocking back. We're rocking back that. and forth on the Thanks. floor, rolling in those those sequences, it's calming to the nervous system. It's considered ventral and poly polyvagal theory, whatever, more parasympathetic, whatever you want to call it, it's calming. That's why we rock babies, mm -hmm. right? And so... Yeah. But, you know, mm. If you look at monkeys as well, yep. so monkeys rock back and forward when they, in, in the wild, when they feel they're nervous or they don't like a situation. And that's a natural mammal primate response, you know, because that's what you want to do to reassure yourself. Because especially 
if you have conditions like EDS and POPs and, you know, one minute you could be yeah. stand and the next minute you're on the floor, that's why people need those type of movements because they're natural movements which yeah. have happened throughout ev evolution. And they have a, they have a common now, grounding effect you know? in the nervous system. And it's important that, like, that is that is cooked into the foundation of this work. I just do that foundation. I do a couple minutes of rocking on my back, letting the knees scissor to roll, rock the body a few inches back and forth. We mash out the large junctions, rocking back and forth. They're basically just excerpts of rolling on the back, side, front. And then we stitch them together and we realize, oh, we already know how to roll in sequence across the floor. That's how I built my core. That's why I can do, you know, more advanced Pilates without having pain in my low back, neck, hip flexors, that that's everyone's birthright. Those basics are what I still do with my clients years later when I see them weekly to be able to give them eyes to connect even deeper with that. But the choreography doesn't get more difficult. You don't have to add 10 more exercises to be quote unquote more conditioned and quote unquote better at your body. That's absurd to me that you that someone has the keys for you to be better at you. I think it is your birthright to be healthfully, powerfully embodied and grounded and safe in that process. It's so important as an EDS person that we still retain some sovereignty in our embodiment because it's, it's very easy to just, I mean, if I had actually asked physical therapists to do this work in my body for me. Um, I just, I've looked at a lot of those protocols. My clients go through those protocols. I just feel tight when I do them. I just feel tight and, and hopeless. Um, because when you have EDS, you have no I mean, endurance on top of it. We're not all the same, are we? And what works for one, what, we're not all the same. And a lot of people, um, like we said, with varying conditions like POTS or if you've got severe back pain or you're going to think, I don't want to do that. And, and I can't. Or, or you tell yourself, yeah, I can't And do I believe that. that there is a common thread in movement that's more fundamental that would serves all of those conditions. And that's what this work is about for me. Um, because it is the least offensive to the body that I have ever encountered of all the fancy things I've studied. And the barrier to entry is incredibly low. It's, it's free. You can, you can do the rocking, mashing, rolling on the floor for free. And I believe that that is everyone's birthright. You know, I put, I sequence things. Something else that I, I've done exactly what you've been saying, look, again, to try and readjust myself, yeah. I assume, for years, but it's just something I've um, learned naturally to. So I've, my, my children come in and go, what are you doing? Because I'm, I lie, I'm sort of leather on my bed, but I'll, I'll be rolling on my back with my legs pulled up and I'm just sort of rolling around a bit. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm saying, making myself feel better. Absolutely. And, you know, I pull myself and move myself about but in a very slow controlled way rather than being told right do this yeah. do that do that I do it for me um and again I'm really interested in all your work as you know we've spoken about um you know the the steps that you do then because I think we spoke before you said about like you can do this in sort of 10 steps yeah, then if you're absolutely. Already, isn't it? you know so it's not something that's really difficult no. or complex if you were in your bed for, you know, in a double bed, for example, you would be yes, able to do you these. You can do this work things. in bed. Not ideal. Not ideal. 
it would be better to do it on the floor because of the base. But if you are in bed for whatever reason, then yes, you can, you know, you can that do can this absolutely... in bed. So for a lot of people, yeah, it's beneficial. a starting point for people in any sort of level and stage of dysfunction. And it's a way of, it's a way of checking in. It's a way of, it's a way of sort of, uh, sloughing off those fixated layers of just constant fight or flight and that sympathetic nervous system to just downregulate it, to feel a little safer in the body, get you moving a little bit, but also to start building some strength and some, some mechanisms of releasing oppositional tissues that are holding on too much while you're strengthening and waking up deeper sort of core scaffolders, um, if that makes sense. Because everything is in opposition. I mean, if <clears throat> one thing I wanted to say as well is, like you say, it's easy steps, but it's fun in a, in another way yeah, as well because is, of totally. all the role and techniques. So people have that type of relaxation to it. But when you go into like, okay, so my experience is is I'm with certain physios. I'm not naming names no, um, because that's not right to do that. But for example, when they sit there and they go right, there's 20 exercises, go away and do it after doing four in, in the type of gym that you go into. And then when you have somebody who's got like an extreme level of EGS and you're given like 20 exercises yeah. on a piece of paper to do, yeah. that is overwhelming in itself. You know, when you already need that reassurance because you've been through a process of like, whoa, this is already overwhelming enough as it is. I've got all these issues and now I've got to understand all these 20 exercises when... Actually, I think the best way to learn and make yourself better is that it's fun. And then also to do the basics first. It's not always about jumping into doing 20 Absolutely. exercises on the sheet. It's about like we talked about it. Floor work first, getting the basics right, and then working up. Because you can't jump from one point of the floor to standing up. You have to work everything moving Absolutely. up. You know, you can, and I think a lot of people do this as a family exercise. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. You, you, know, you can do it in the living room on the floor with the kids and make it fun and make everybody a part of it and get everybody, you know, moving as such. Because children, yeah, children move much less than they did years ago because of computer games right. and tablets, and they play outside less and, and exercise less. So again. That these movements again something you could yeah incorporate into a family absolutely activity. and to speak to to what fiona was saying about the 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 eds person becoming easily oh. overwhelmed because we all i mean every eds person i've met is incredibly high functioning intellectually it's kind of amazing it's a really wild thing but they all tend to be myself included like we get incredibly neurotic about things and it's not bad where, you know, it's like I would say to a client, uh, he was an EMDR trauma therapist, and he would say, I'd say, uh, I'd say, oh, sorry, I'm being a little neurotic. And he'd look at me and he'd go, no, no, dear, detail oriented. And I was like, okay, okay, I'll go with that. I like that. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's important to look at, you know, with this rocking, mashing, rolling, this is my massage, my chiropractic, my conditioning simultaneously. It hits all of those marks for me. The exercises in it are rocking. That's on the back, knees to chest. You're rocking the knees in scissors, very small scissors with breath sequencing to just open up the low back, feel safe on the ground, give yourself a little length, a little strength, whatever. We come back down with the feet to the floor. I have four mashing drills. Those mashing drills are basically excerpts of rolling positions. 
So at the end, when you roll after the four mashing drills, you have rocking, four mashing drills, rolling. Those are six exercises that really are just two exercises. You're just rocking and then you're rolling. And once you, the reason why I why I really excerpted it into those clean parts is because when you can work in weight shift with clean technique, understanding the sequencing of your bones, this is where the rectilinear training for me has really served this process therapeutically in my body and in others um, because there is nothing in the universe that's in a straight line right there is no manifest straight line it's all an imaginary axis mm -hmm. around which we spiral in weight shift right it's like the pole of the barbershop pole spiral around it right and so when you just look at this you dissect it you break it down to with all my clients, the sequencing for myself, for all the bodies, it's very simple. It's rocking, it's rolling. There are, I break the body into two keystones, sacrum and sternum. There's a front and a back and on each side. So there are eight lines to the body. So you're doing four exercises. Front body sacrum is the hip flexor line because that's always the one that has to be worked in modern humans because it's so brutally underserved, right? We spend our day sitting, we just get deconditioned, our low backs are killing us, our neck is killing us, our shoulders are angry on a just on the general, right? Just like, right? I occasionally lose feeling in my leg if I'm lucky too, let's throw a little sciatica in there, right? So, you know, a little lightning or just losing feel, whatever, all of that, right? So we hit the hip flexor line first in the spiral stretches, that's the second arm of this work. After that, we go to the back body sacrum line. That's the hamstring IT band. When you go wider leg, it wraps around to the adductor groin lines. Um, but that's just, you know, largely the hamstring IT band line that needs to be dealt with because before we jump to the sternum, that second keystone, we deal with the pelvis. We balance it first, right? Then we go into the back body sit sternum line. That's that monkey shape, the gorilla with the wide arms, I always say DeLorean arms, if you've watched Back to the Future, or if you look at uh, sort of Michael Jackson, the thriller arms, right? If to give the, the viewers kind of a, you know, some sort of, but that hanging, that ape shape of hanging in a crescent shape, if you hang in that crescent shape, curling your pubic bone sternum to each other, that sequencing of sacrum sternum, you can have your legs in the air, no problem together in that teaser, that boat pose, whatever. It's no longer an issue because there's a cantilevering response that the whole body will wake up to. But all of these spiral stretches, the next one is opening the chest line. So you're opening up your hip flexor line, your hamstring IT band line. Then you're doing the back body line, lacerated rhomboids, that's that shoulder girdle line to open that fully. Then you're opening the chest line. It's four lines of the body. That, that hits to me when you do this in this sequencing of what I called spiral weight shift, contoured weight shifting, it hits all the nooks and crannies, all of the places you've been scared to go and not sure if your shoulder was going to dislocate if you went there. Basically, all that choreography, the reason why I've, I've hammered this out for three years over and over every week for hours a week, um, on top of the 15 years of studying the stuff before, but specifically this choreography it's just basically to be foolproof. It's to make it so that it's, it can be deeply therapeutic. It's there for you always so that you can, on a cocktail napkin, you can take your entire movement life of I rock, I roll, I have my exercise for my hip flexor line, 
my hamstring IT band line, my shoulder girdle line, and my chest line. And if you do that, and then you retrograde the sequence, you then go back to a little bit of rolling on the floor to integrate and feel safe and strong. And you do a little bit of rocking back in that supine fetal position, back in that baby embryo position to feel really safe in the body. And you're done. And you can do all of this in 15 minutes to balance out your entire system once you've learned it, really. If you want to go on a longer strength building and opening certain parts and really doing some rolling up the sleeves work, you know, getting in there, you can spend a half hour, 45 minutes if you want to. Um, but it doesn't need to be this exhaustive process of a packet of 20 exercises that have like their own instructions and blah, blah. It really should be able to be five five to 10 things max for your entire body. I firmly believe that. I think it needs to be simplified for sure, because yeah. the point of view, it needs to get back to basics, you know, because, you know, making it overcomplicated doesn't help anyone, including Absolutely. the medical professional and the patient alike. But I wanted to ask you a question because you said you had um, EDS patients. So how pivotal has it been for them and what changes have they noticed? And what, My friend Ryan called me once and thanked me well. for uh, giving him his career back on violin. That was the one who I'd hugged to the floor, uh, you know, from the stool when he's six foot something. I mean, it. you know, I have another uh, uh, another client, um, Elias, an uh, oboe player in his early 20s. Um, he's on the he's uh, one of the testimonials you'll see on my website, themonkeybody.com. Um, he. Uh, it was kind of amazing. He's 15 years my junior. He's where I wanted to be when I was, you know, 20, 21, going into the classical music field. I just wanted some information of how to live in my damn body. I had no idea how to live in my body. Forget play Brahms symphonies. Like that was a whole nother level, right? And he <laughs> since with these embodiment principles, I mean, and he's he's also, you know, he's brilliant in his own in his own right, but in terms of his embodiment, he's been able to really ground himself to be able to then execute at some of the highest levels in the world on the instrument. I mean, he's gotten into Tanglewood Festival Institute multiple times. He's gotten into multiple conservatories. He plays in various orchestras. Uh, I mean, he has a legitimate, just had a gig with Yo-Yo Ma. He's a legitimate career in front of him at in his early 20s that I, I, I hoped would have been my track at that age, but at the same time, taking these 15 years um, and being able to help people reclaim their lives in making music and making art um, has been amazing. Uh, I, there are all sorts of testimonials on the, uh, on the website. Um, it's it's really been it's been an amazing process creating this this work, um, but I find that you know this isn't something where I'm diagnosing anything. That's not my job. I'm not a medical professional. This work in and of itself is diagnostic and therapeutic by understanding how to break the body and weight shifting into certain imaginary lines, certain boundaries that you draw for yourself on the ground you can start to notice your own imbalances. And by scanning through the rocking, rolling, the four spiral stretches, you can notice anywhere in your body 
where you might be meeting dysfunction in that moment because our bodies shift so drastically so regularly right so it's something where you have the tools to scan your body dynamically in resisted uh resisted stretching and in sort of in in therapeutic movement i think that it, it is your it's it's your right to do your own therapy and that if you think that someone's going to do that to you you're always going to be in this weird codependency that is never really that satisfying um ultimately I think the thing is, I think that it's too. expensive though as, as well, see. I mean, I charge $110 yeah, a Sorry, session. Steve. My sessions range are somewhere around 90 minutes. I record them. Uh, I put them in a two-step authenticated Dropbox so that people can access them and download them and practice. So they don't need to become dependent on me. I have 50 free videos up on my video manual on YouTube. The sequencing and the way that this, the sequences are designed, I haven't made videos on that. I should, but I'm honestly just really enjoying having my body back. I'm auditioning for pro professional orchestras. You know, that's kind of where my life has taken me. I play eight hours of Bach a week um, at a resort in Sedona that pays my bills. I'm so thankful for that. And it's just, it's so nice to know that 15 years later, I actually have a shot at, at, being joyfully embodied in my professional life um, and that that is possible and that no one should ever need to be dependent on me. The weekly clients I have, they it's a way of them mirroring, going deeper into themselves. But this is never me doing something to you. Um, that's the, that's also the beauty of Zoom is because I can't, put my hands on. I have to be able to help people wake up to it verbally in themselves. And there's an incredible amount of agency that's built on both of our parts in that process. Um, something which I really, I've, I've really come to appreciate. So it's, it's really, um, I, 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 I have enjoyed this process post COVID. It's been such a gift to have to build this method over zoom and realize that people can have their own resources. They can have their own movement practice. I can help them walk through that process in their own body, but it's ultimately, it's ultimately theirs to, to claim um, and that it can be done. I'm really a basics guy. I still just do the basics in my own body. You don't ever have to feel intimidated about moving your own body. It is your birthright. I do not care what anyone says. I've had people with some really horrific, terrifying, so many surgeries, so much pots, lots of things going on. You can still find a way to move incrementally on some sort of surface, even if it's just bed. And that there's a, yeah. yeah. I think that's an important point. It's about the ability to move on the bed or even on the floor and it's very simplified too and a lot of people within the chronic illness community or eds community that have had a lot of surgeries when like when you've been through i mean i've been through hip surgery and knee surgery previously okay 
And when you've been through that, which in itself your body's trying to recover from, and then all your micronutrient levels are depleted because of the surgery, because that's what happens as medical publications to support that, your body's still recovering through a process. And then when you're having a barrage of treatments, like within, well, on the same day to like, you know, following weeks, you know, it can be overwhelming completely. And like we say, it does need to get back to basics. And I think your type of you know, um, monkey rolls and all your type of, you know, floor work really goes to prove that point of how important floor work is and getting back to basics, getting back to them primal instincts, you know, because once Absolutely. you do the floor the, work, you can like do a the, lot more. You know, it's the rule in you consciousness know? that everyone has their own free will. It's none of my business to tell you how you quote unquote should move your body. What I'm doing here is I've just tried to build as concise a sequence in really fundamental embodiment principles that babies use to wake their bodies up to be able to get on all fours and then sit upright and then eventually stand and walk we can use those as our own tool to really feel feel strong feel capable feel safe in our bodies and then it's your business what you want to do with your body if you want to go run a marathon, if you want to sit on the floor all day and practice Mendelssohn and Mozart excerpts, that's your, that is totally your right. If you want to go biking, any of those things, these movement principles can inform any other movement practice. What I'll often do with this later, when people feel a little more fluent in the work and, and like their, their imbalances are kind of smoothing out a bit, I'll take them through basic Pilates with the ab five, you know, sort of basic Pilates mat work. Um, because again, it's something that requires no props. They can do it at home. And I translate it into basically these spirals. I translate it into these primal spirals in the body. Um, and that's a way of them sort of bridging the gap into whatever athletic or other movement practices they like. I translate with other clients. I translate gyrotonic yoga choreography into this spiral weight shift system. Uh, you can absolutely do it with cycling. Um, you know, people are always to taught to kind of, they almost sit up a little bit when they cycle. And I think that that's totally absurd. I think it's the opposite where you actually have to cantilever into that, that hoop shape to decompress the low back, not be getting too far, you know, too tight in your hip flexors, blah, blah, blah. There are ways to translate all movement because ultimately it is, it is against universal law of free will that I tell someone else how they should be moving their body on a daily basis. That is none of my business. It is just my business to say that this is everyone's birthright. It is called the monkey body because it isn't about Fiona's body or Danny's body or Michelle's body down the road or Elias's body. It's about the fact that we all have this very simple baseline that if we all started to incrementally honor we'd be able to then be able to access and make choices of, oh, I really want to do this with my body today. And that you feel safe in making that choice. If you want to vacuum and you want to try vacuuming upright for two minutes, you can try doing that. You'll be better equipped to do that. Or you'll know for a fact, no, I can't do that. I do feel much safer on the floor right now. That's where I'm staying today. And that no one should have the right to weigh in on that or make that decision for you. There's a lot in the community that I see of decisions being made for people 
that I find to be really scary because at the end of the day, there are no real, there is no cure for this. I mean, let's just kind of be honest. There's no, there's no magic pill for Ehlers-Danlos, for hypermobility. You know, there has to be a way of you seeing deeper into your present moment in embodiment and making the choices that feel correct to you in that moment. Um, and we also, we live in a time of where I think medical autonomy more than ever is being tested. And I really have to err on the side of, I believe that people know what is best for their own bodies. It's not my, it is not my place to weigh in on that. Um, yeah, I think Absolutely. COVID's brought that to the forefront, actually, because COVID patients are being um, being pushed to over-exercise, as far as I'm concerned, if I'm honest, uh, be, to do things which their body yeah. at this if, time is not capable of doing. However, your programme would be perfect for people who are in that situation because it isn't, because, again, COVID is, th there's lots of evidence regarding mm. COVID and it causing a zinc deficiency or a, a, what can be measured as a zinc um, and over-exercise deplete. Well, exercise mm -hmm. in itself depletes zinc. Over-exercise indefinitely depletes it. And then, if you don't replace that, then you can't repair the damage in the body. So, if you're over-exercising, when your muscles, because you know, um, when you build muscle, it, it basically causes inflammation first, doesn't it? And that's that's how you build it because it's more like a damage response, and you're you're pumping it up and building it and making the tissue stronger and so on and so forth. But when you haven't got enough zinc, for example, your body can't do that because it doesn't have um, the, the DNA repair processes and, and the repair processes themselves are affected because you haven't got the right tools for the and job. I think then that to, it's, to it's do important that. in that case so, that it would be the lowest barrier to entry possible for all humans. You know, we this needs to be as there needs to be as little inflammation risk as possible. John Jakewish actually has very interesting, the, the man who created the X3, uh, the X3 bar, that uh, variable resistance training system. Um, that's another thing I work with in, with my clients, you know, when we're ready to get to some larger strength training, if we feel capable and ready to start doing that work incrementally, that's a way that I've actually been able to build strength, um, you know, to do resistance training, um, with higher force output without having excessive inflammation everywhere and really feeling that my grinding and all of that, uh, that I know all EDS people can relate to. There are ways to, uh, there are ways to create much less demand and have much more return on investment than what we've been taught. I'm a firm believer in that. Um, and I think to some degree at 37 years old, I'm somewhat of an example of that. Because, you know, I've dodged a knee surgery and I play, you know, I'm an endurance player on my instrument. No one I know takes a background gig solo for four hours at a time. Like there are ways to actually, there are ways to actually much more efficiently uh, be able to use our bodies without having this sort of long warm up sequence that's exhausting in and of itself. Uh, because, you know, as the, as the, one of the most important things I ever learned was from Ivalani Kaluhio Kalani, the, my first mentor in movement um, in Pilates gyrotonic. And she said, she said, she said, honey, remember, you only get so many bendovers, use them wisely. And I think that, you know, the EDS crew especially <laughs> can resonate with that. We really do not have 
an incredible amount of endurance in any direction for any activity, right? So it is very important that we we have that we can see deeply into our embodied experience and that we have a very targeted understanding of what we're using this for, why we're using it, what we're doing here. And then we put it away and we let ourselves rest and regenerate. Um, because I know everyone who's an EDS or we all like our naps. So that is important. It is very oh, important yeah. that there be nap time <laughs> and that there be a little conditioning time and that we go back to being able to, to rest and recover. So I'm just going to round it up now there, Drew. So I have one final question for you to round it up. So what's your hope for the chronic illness and EDS community? What would you I, want to see I improve? hope that we can come to a deeper understanding that we actually have much more capability in, in our movement than we've been told our entire lives. Uh, I hope I can have a hand in 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 helping people to grow that understanding and see it in themselves. Um, and I, I do hope that we, that we can, we can build that momentum and, you know, maybe I should get used back to making some more videos because it, it has been so, it's been very, uh, you do? it's been very, it's been, it's been amazing to see people change themselves. Uh, because it really isn't me doing it. And I, and I want to stress that more than anything is that you do have the right to your own healthful, health-promoting embodiment. Sure. Yeah. But I just wanted to say, um, you know, your monkey body, you know, type of program, I know you've trademarked it and that's really good you've done now. I think it's unique. I think it would help a lot of people in the chronic illness community, i.e. people with long COVID, people with like, things like severe POTS, yeah. especially with floor-based work, because it's safe. safety. You know, first. we have to consider safety mm -hmm. in those types Absolutely. of situations, especially for patients like that. And, you know, I think it's been, you know, an important thing to put out there to the chronic illness community and something for people to explore. I actually um, told my rheumatologist I was um, going to start doing your yes. type of work too. Yeah, well, so, anyone, anyone you know, can always... That goes to show. I already, I already do part of it. <laughs> yeah. I love it. And I've already been doing part of it, I think. Absolutely. Naturally, uh, my own way. <laughs> well, I and this is, you know, this is why I've formally too. created these yeah. systems is because but, it's actually, it, it's, it's where you can take formal training and measurements, and you can apply it to something that's primal, and you can really get an incredible, there's an incredible therapeutic application for it then, um, because you have the eyes to measure your own system and what's going on. So people can feel free to reach out to me at any time. My handle uh, on Instagram is at the monkey body. Uh, I'm at themonkeybody.com. Uh, my email is drewrichardi at gmail.com. So, you know, anyone can feel free to reach out to me at any time. I love talking about this stuff. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, we'll, we will certainly put on the podcast and on your links to, you know, the monkey body and everything like that there, Drew. So everyone can go and see you. And I think it's a very unique, um, you know, Thing you have there and the program is a great program and I think it needs to be explored more for sure and I just wanted to say to you thank you very much for coming on our podcast today me and Danny's enjoyed your time 
and we you know we think you're fantastic and we have a good chat all the time our dm's always open thank you you know that (laughs) yeah you know it's been brilliant but i just wanted to say to all our listeners again please know our podcast is for information only and to please go to your uh, registered medical professional for medical advice all right brilliant and thank you very much and we'll speak to you soon that's it that's it (laughs) zoom 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 lowered all the barriers to entry so here we are all together i love it that's it (laughs) a zoom rock and roll (laughs) thank you all right you too thank you bye-bye okay thank you very much drew bye